Today's episode of the Gaucho 9 podcast is brought to you by our friends at Kyle's Kitchen. Check out their great variety of healthy options, burgers, fries, salads, lots of delicious items at Kyle's Kitchen. Check them out at kyleskitchen.com. They are open for dine-in. You can also do takeout or contact-free delivery. Okay, this episode, we've got a data blast for you. Uh, We'll start with the MLB report for the end of the season. Bieber's start against the White Sox this past week and a little preview of the White Sox, or sorry, the Indians series with the Yankees coming up in the wild card. Um, And then David and Spencer and I will do some fun predictions for the first round games and matchups for all the series. And then we have Evan Short and Tony Ortiz, who are on the second episode. We brought them back to talk about what their seasons were like working with the Blue Jays and the Yankees and uh, just talk some baseball. So it was good to catch up with those guys and uh, just uh, baseball things. It's uh, October is is finally upon us. Playoff baseball is here, and we've got a gaucho in Shane Bieber, who's going to be starting the first game for the Indians and hopefully leading them to a win uh, over the Yankees. A couple other things to note: Dylan Tate and Kyle Nelson they did not pitch since the last episode, so uh, there wasn't anything to report on them, unfortunately. But uh, Bieber. Again, starting tonight, Tuesday, in Game 1 against the Yankees. So with no further ado, let's get to the MLB report, and then we'll hear from Evan and Tony. It's one of the most beautiful views of any campus in America, the Pacific Ocean crashing against the shores of UC Santa Barbara every morning, noon, and night. There's the one-strike pitch, and Mitchell belts us to deep left. Cabrera is going to watch it fly. He strikes out the side for the second consecutive inning. And Amani belts it to deep center. Gauchos are going to Omaha. Can you believe it? Here's the 0-2 pitch. And a curveball is swung on him. And the score is two. Here comes Mitchell. He's going to score. And the Gauchos are the 2019 All right, this week's version of the MLB report brought to you by UCSB Baseball Analytics. Visit the analytics page on Twitter, SB Baseball Data. We got David Tillotson and Spencer Stewart today, and we're going to do kind of a season wrap up. We'll go over Bieber's start against the White Sox and preview the Indians' wildcard series with the Yankees. And then we will do, at the very end, some predictions from the three of us on the uh, wildcard matchups and have some fun with it. So let's get to Bieber. And first of all, Bieber, well, he won the AL pitching crown, pitching triple crown. Led the league in wins, ERA, and strikeouts. And safe to say he's probably a sure-in for the American League Cy Young. And uh, um, quite an honor that will be. Uh, He missed out on leading the league outright in wins. Uh, Hugh Darvish of the Cubs also posted eight wins on the season, so he tied for the Major League lead in wins. But he otherwise would have joined Sandy Koufax and Dwight Gooden for outright wins, ERA, and strikeouts leaders, um, the only ones to do that in Major League history. But here on the Gaucho 9 podcast, we'll just give it to him. I think that's uh, I think that's fair. So Bieber on – when was that? That was Tuesday of this week, or Wednesday, because his start got bumped back. It was Wednesday against the White Sox. He went five innings, struck out 10, eighth time 
this season that he struck out 10 batters. And he did really well against uh, a White Sox team, which scuffled down the stretch, but really was one of the better teams in the American League this year. Um, and he only allowed one hit to probably their six best hitters. And uh, Spencer and David, uh, let's break this down. So, Tilly, what did you see um, out of Bieber against the White Sox? I mean, just another masterful start with the fastball and knuckle curve like we've been talking about. Um, ten, ten plus strikeouts for the eighth time this season um, helped solidify. I think they had already clinched the playoffs Tuesday, um, but just kind of helped solidify them in that race for getting home field advantage for their first round playoff series. And like you said, against the top five hitters, he allowed one base hit, uh, ended up getting – what was that five strikeouts against the top uh, five hitters, as well as uh, Luis Robert, who's probably going to be the runner up for the AL rookie of the year. And he struck him out twice as well with uh, an over two game for him. So the one unearned run kind of uh, stinks for him to not get a win in that and end up with a no decision in the five innings pitch with that one earned run to not get that ninth win. Like we were talking about for the outright lead. But um, all in all, another great start and just looking forward to seeing him get to throw in some postseason games. Yeah, I think it's been cool to see uh, just the fact that he is in the position where, you know, they've, they've clinched. Um, they know they're, they've secured their spot and having a fourth seed is huge. He's, they're getting that, that quick little home field advantage. Um, and I think that'll be awesome for him because he's been on the road all year and uh, having a fourth seed automatically puts him a little bit higher, you know. We're we'll get into predictions later, but we you know we'd love to see the Indians win. Um, Tampa Bay likely to go over the Blue Jays, so that'll be a tough test um, if it happens in the second round if they meet up. But uh, like I mentioned, it it was cool to see him out there. He ran the pitch count up, but he was there to get a lot of K's and and uh, kind of put the the stamp on the end of an incredible regular season. It's really cool to see him finish out strong. Yeah, it's a couple of things to tack onto that. The White Sox top hitters, Tim Anderson, who was last year's batting champion, Yohan Makata, Jose Abreu, who was in the league leaders in home runs and RBIs this year, Eloy Jimenez, Edwin Encarnacion, and Luis Robert, who, uh, as Tilly mentioned, probably will be the AL runner-up for Rookie of the Year. So, yeah, we, we were speculating the last couple weeks that Bieber would get two more starts before the, se- before the, the regular season ended to try and get to 10 wins. Uh, but because of the Indians' position in the American League Central, they were able to push him back and set him up to be the starter for the first game of the the wild card series, which is pretty cool. I think we would rather see that uh, now that you know um, now that that has come to fruition. I think we'd rather see him start the first game of the playoff series than have to start on the last day of the season to try and clinch a spot for the Indians because there was a lot of drama this weekend uh, with teams that could control their own destiny, teams that lost and, and lost a playoff spot, stuff like that. So it was good to see the Indians clinch the playoff spot and get home field. So the way the wild card is going to work is that it's a three-game series at home for the top seeds. So the Rays, Indians, Twins, and A's all playing at home in the American League, Dodgers, Padres, Cubs, and Braves all playing three-game sets at home. And obviously – First two, first team to win two games in those series moves on to the division series. So let's get more with Bieber on his overall stats 
for the season. As we mentioned, led in ERA, wins, and Ks. But he was also tops in pitching war. He was second in war overall. Like, some of these numbers are crazy. And then the the number that Spencer brought up a couple times is his Ks per nine. 14.198. 14 strikeouts per nine. Well, I mean, we never saw him get to the uh, get to that nine inning mark. Uh, we know he was he threw seven point two a couple of times, hit eight once. It would it would have been awesome to see him go CG, but as a strikeout pitcher, uh, they don't obvious you know they don't often get to that to that ninth inning. Um, but he beats Randy Johnson's single season record. Uh, Randy Johnson in two thousand one with thirteen point thirteen point four, I believe it was, and and he shatters that and. Um, I think that one will be at the top of the leaderboard for a long while. So incredible stuff and unhittable to, to average 14.2. Yeah. I mean, for him to go and, and just be top 10 in so many of these metrics and overall war, he finished second behind Mookie Betts. So it's crazy to think about a position player, which gets so many more opportunities. Um, Mookie Betts finished 0.1 or 0.1 war higher than him. He was first in pitching war. Like you guys said, ERA wins and K's, but he was fourth in whip, uh, third in hits per nine, and also fourth in innings pitch. So just an absolute workhorse that just, you know, we, we talk about all of these stats compared to some of the legends in the game, like Randy Johnson. Um, it's just, it's sort of ridiculous to see it over and over and over again. And just to throw the cherry on top of the analytical, uh, analytical trophy collection that Bieber collected this year, he also finished first in base out wins saved, base out runs saved, situational wins, win probability added, adjusted pitching wins, adjusted pitching runs. Just to, you know, put the cherry on top. And this this is the best this is the best part, the 162 game equivalent. 330 Ks, 208 innings and 22 wins. Have so. a have a season. <laughs> well, it's crazy to think it's he he's putting up these numbers and and having the outright lead in war um, wins above replacement. It's not like it's close. It's he's completely outshotting the rest of the the rest of the field, and he's doing it in he's doing it in twelve starts. He's playing a fifth of the games during this shortened season, and he's consistently out there at the top of his game and making a point of it. It's incredible to see. It's a fun fun regular season for him and we're really looking forward to that postseason yes a good segue there spencer into the wild card series the indians hosting the yankees and uh, the first game will be tuesday night four o'clock pacific on espn and it's bieber against garrett cole and of course garrett cole made a name for himself with the astros but before that he made a name for himself with the ucla bruins so you've got shane bieber the Gauchos, who pitched in the World Series, and you got Garrett Cole with the UCLA, UCLA Bruins, um, also pitching. You know, will be Trevor Bauer with the with the Reds. So a lot of Southern California, a lot of college baseball pitching is going to be on display. Former college baseball pitching is going to be on display uh, in the first round. And uh, I mean, what more can you get excited about? Cole versus Bieber on the big stage. This is going to be great. Well, they both uh, they both have a really complete repertoire their their pitches are they live on the black uh they live on the corners of the strike zone um 
a lot of swing and miss pitches. It's going to be, it's going to be a duel. It's going to be a pitcher's duel the entire time. The, the Indians, obviously this season, they haven't had the best offensive statistics. Um, though it was good to see in the last couple starts during the regular season, they were tacking on a lot of runs. Jose Ramirez had a, had a great streak that he finished the season with. Um, just putting solid contact on the ball, and that's that's ultimately what you need. You can't you can't just rely on pitching. It's the complete test um, to get to the World Series. It's you got to be the best pitchers, best hitters, and I think uh, I think it'll be a great test that four or five matchup between the Indians and Yanks. Tilly, how do you think the Indians will be at an advantage playing at home against that potent lineup that the Yanks have with the MLB batting champion Lemayhu? and the home run champ, Luke Voigt. They're not playing at Yankee Stadium. They're going to be playing in Cleveland. Yeah, we, we talk about some of those advanced metrics, which uh, Shane led the league in, and, and some of those are park-adjusted, right? So we've talked before about how the Yankees have that short right field porch. Um, so it'll be nice for Shane to not have to pitch on the road with that sort of advantage going to the offensive players. But like Spencer said, the, the Indians' offense has been – very questionable at times and so we're on a hot streak right now eight and two in our last 10 games and so we're hoping to sort of continue that trend but I believe they have the lowest run scored of all the playoff teams from the American League so uh, going against the Bronx Bombers we're definitely going to need for that offense to keep holding its weight as Shane looks to sort of battle and see how many innings he can hold off the Yanks lineup. Okay let's get to some Playoff predictions from the three of us, just just to just to have some fun. So we'll start in the AL with the uh, the one eight matchup: Rays Blue Jays. Tilly, who you got? We go with Tampa Bay. Okay, Tilly's going with Tampa. Spencer. Yeah, sorry, Evan. We're going with the Rays. Wow. Okay, this is my upset pick. In the AL, I'm going Blue Jays. Interesting. Yeah, four, <laughs> four or five matchup, Indians Yanks. Imagine that we 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 can't go against Bieber and the Yankees, right? Tilly, I I honestly don't think I would. Anyways, uh, like like the reason I picked Tampa Bay, uh, I think the starting pitching plays such a big role come playoff time. And you, when you look at starting pitching. In the playoffs here, probably the two best rotations are the Indians and then the Rays following that, in my opinion, at least. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to go with the Indians at home beating the Yanks. Sorry, wow, Tony. Some, some analysis. Well done. Okay. Spencer? I'm also going to go with the Indians. Um, yes, their starting pitching has been incredible, but it ultimately comes down to, to the clutch situations at the end. Um, starting pitching can only do so much. They can't. It's just not possible to be throwing complete games um, with all your starters. And Brad Hand uh, uh, for the Indians this year was, I thought he was pretty lights out. I believe he was the league leader for saves, if not among the better candidates. I know um, I, I know the A's had, had their closer, Hendricks. He, he was lights out this year as well. And they were putting him in great situations to get a lot of, a lot of saves. But Brad Hand was awesome, uh, I think. I think they relied on him a lot to get the job done and um event like him is is going to prove to be a, a huge part of the a huge part of the pitching rotation so if they if they get to throw a hand out there twice I think that they'll be able to secure two games take it to the next round okay the Indians offense scared me but 
the Yankees playing on the road. I think uh, and I think pitching is going to be uh, the the factor ultimately, especially since it's October. So I'm going Indians, and uh, 15 saves for Hand. 15 saves. Thank you, Tilly. Okay, three six Twins Astros, Tilly. Well, they're playing the game in or the games in Minnesota. So again, home field advantage is going to the Twins there. Um, right? Am I wrong there? Correct. Correct. So I, I'm going to go with the Twins. Um, I think again they they've got some good starting pitching on their side of things. Houston, unfortunately, they lost Verlander this year, so um, they're they're down a, a couple of arms with Garrett Cole moving to the Yankees from last year's team. So I, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to keep rolling with the starting pitching and pick the the Twins. Spencer, I'm with you there. I'm with you there, Tilly. Okay, I also picked the Twins. Astros snuck in at 29-31. I'm picking the Twins. Okay, we all know who I'm picking in the two-seven matchup: A's and White Sox. I'm going with my A's. They're finally going to get off the hump and get out of a first-round matchup. So, Tilly, I think I'm with you. I think I'm going to go A's in in this first one. I, I think this is going to be sort of the best of the first-round series, just the the two sort of best match teams. Um, but I like Oakland's chances. I think this is the year. This is third time's a charm, right? That's get out of that that ever. first round. So, uh, I think I'm going to go with Oakland with you. Yeah, that's the that's the beauty about a series is that it doesn't it's not it's no longer up to one game. Um, so I do think that the A's will probably drop one to the Sox. Um, they've been a hell of a team all year, but they are currently slumping, and uh, that's that's really not a good sign going into the playoffs. So we're with you there, Kevin. Let's go green and gold. Wow, so in the American League, only one matchup we did not pick the same team. So we'll either all be right or all be wrong. Okay, over the National League, 1-8 matchup, Dodgers-Brewers. Aiden Worsing's Brewers against pretty much everybody down here is Dodgers. Tilly? I think that the Dodgers are sort of the shoe-in for that first round. I mean – I had the uh, fortune last year. I got to go to the playoff game where the tide sort of turned against the nationals in the first round. So I got to see them not get out of the first round a little bit. And so I think that this year they're going to come in with a sort of a point to prove and on a mission, especially with the addition of Mookie bets, it's going to be tough to see them not make it pretty deep in the playoffs. I'm ultimately rooting for the battle of SoCal. I think seeing, uh, seeing the Dodgers versus Padres, I know they just had a series and, and uh, while the Padres did, did snag a game on the Dodgers, uh, they ultimately lost that series. I think that that kind of dynamic going into it um, is you'll have a little bit of a chip on your shoulder. And I think that, you know, it would, it'd be awesome to see the, the, the people around here, whether they be San Diego fans or Dodger fans, um, just getting into some some postseason baseball. So ultimately, I'm going to pick the Dodgers. I'm also going to pick the Padres just so I can see that NLDS matchup between the two. Okay. I also picked Los Angeles. They're they're pretty pretty darn good. Okay, second round. So Tilly – or sorry, uh, the 4-5 matchup. Tilly took San Diego over the Cardinals. Spencer took San Diego over the Cardinals. Tilly, what do you got? I'm going to go with 
the Padres as well, but it's hesitantly. I think they're having some injury problems. I think I just read something that Lamette and Clevenger both have bicep tightness in their throwing arms. So there's the potential that that series kind of goes awry. But uh, I think that Slam Diego, sort of the offense, will we'll carry them through the first round, and we'll see if, if the second round uh, in their matchup against the Dodgers, if those two match up, what will happen there. Okay. I'm going to go with the Cardinals because my mom's from St. Louis and it's her birthday. So go cards. Happy birthday, Mr. Cannon. (laughs) Three, six matchup Cubs Marlins Marlins. First time in postseason in, I don't know, something like 14 years. Same with the Padres, by the way, Tilly. I think I'm going to go with the, the Marlins in this one. This is this was my sleeper pick uh, to do it, uh, as well as the next round we'll, we'll get there. But I'm going to pick the Reds to, to upset the Braves. So the only two road teams I'm picking to win in the first round, uh, the, I love the Sixto Sanchez. I love that starting pitch-up matchup. I think that Bauer versus him is going to be sort of a crazy game one, could go either way. And then from there, you know, it's, it's sort of going to be anybody's game. But we'll, we'll just see what happens there. I like, I like the Marlins. Spencer, uh, this was also a tough one for me. I, I like the I like the Marlins in their first uh, first postseason appearance, but I think um, I think the Cubs got a little bit of good omen on their side when when Anthony Rizzo at the start of the season whipped out the hand sanitizer from his back pocket. I was I was sold. <laughs> I thought that that was one of the best <laughs> one of the best moves of 2020, and uh, for that, it's good karma is coming his way. So I got the Cubbies, but. That next round, the next matchup. Okay, I think uh, Miami's gonna ride the coattails of the Miami Heat, and they're gonna beat the Cubbies. Even though there's probably no relation, but whatever. <laughs> Going with Marlins, upset. Okay, last last one. We got Tilly picking the Reds over the Braves. Spencer. Going with the going with the Reds or the excuse me the yeah going with, going with Cincy as well. Uh, oh. Cincinnati, I, I like I like Bauer. He's been lights out. Uh, him and Darvish have kind of been the two powerhouses of of the NL pitching. Um, I really like Bauer. I think he'll take the game game one. No one pitches more intensely than him. And seeing um, you know they really had to work to earn that seven spot. And seeing him all fired up in those last couple games, you know that. The only thing that was on his mind was getting to that postseason. So I think he's gonna, he'll he'll set the stage and he'll do it well. And then um, with the best changeup in, arguably one of the best changeups in 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 the game, Luis Castillo, you know, game two. I think uh, I think the Braves are gonna have a really tough matchup against those two guys. Okay, I'm I'm taking the Braves, but clearly, these two analytic guys love pitching. And they see pitching as an advantage in the postseason. And I think uh, anyone in the Gaucho program who was raised in the Gaucho program will will see it that way. And I think it's a good way to go. But uh, and there's also something we've said about playing well down the stretch and going into the postseason with some chemistry, with some groove, with some mojo. So some of the teams kind of limped in, like the White Sox. Some of the teams played well to earn their spots like the Reds. Uh, so there are, there are your... Uh, First round wild card predictions with the uh, UCSB baseball analytics crew. Don't forget Bieber pitching tonight. Tonight in the 
the first round, the wild card round against Garrett Cole and the Yankees at four o'clock on ESPN. Don't miss it. All right, today on the Gaucho 9 pod, two returning guests. And you guys were the original ones because even though we released the 2015 rotation first as the debut podcast, you guys were actually the first two guys that I talked to in this format. And since it's the end of the Major League Baseball season and you guys have kind of been involved, one more than the other, but still involved, uh, we wanted to catch up and get some thoughts on the season. And uh, the two guys who I'm referring to, of course, are Evan Short and Tony Ortiz, two former uh, directors of analytics with UCSB Baseball. And let's get caught up first because you guys are both in different places where you were the last time I talked to you. So, Evan, you're back in Florida by way of Santa Cruz, by way of Fairbanks. <laughs> that's right thanks for having us back kev um i've just been racking up the airline miles you know uh, but no not really um i got called back to florida at our spring training facility here uh in dunedin since we're gonna start instructs um major league baseball recently allowed instructs to to go on for us so uh, i got the call and this was coming after a move from Alaska to beautiful Santa Cruz, which in a lot of ways is similar to Santa Barbara, as you guys already know. Um, but that's been my story for the past few months, basically. And, of course, Tony, who was in Manhattan when the pandemic hit, and then he went to Ohio, back to his parents' house, and so now you're in Kentucky. <laughs> but you've been mostly stationed in Ohio. Yeah. Uh, thanks again, Kevin. Um, and yeah, I've been stationed in Ohio. I've gone a little bit here and there just to get away um, for a time or two. But I've been stationed in Ohio since March, and I think I'm going to be there for the, the duration of this year. Um, and I think most people in our office have like at one point left, but most people have returned to New York. Um, they were even saying like they're going to meet up to watch a game or something, the playoff games. But I'm still on the outpost in Ohio with no one around, no one from work around, no one from school around. I got my friends from high school and all that, but we're, we're not really seeing people when we're there um, when I'm at home with my parents, but it's been good. The season's been fun. Um, and I've enjoyed the time with my parents at home, but right now I'm in Kentucky. <laughs> Gauchos have good memories in Kentucky. So you're, you're in a good place. <laughs> Well, yeah. Evan, Evan, you brought up uh, you brought up fall instructs because uh, that's something that I got wind of you know about a week ago, and with no minor league baseball this summer, major league baseball had to come up with something to get this giant pool of players who have not been playing games to get back on the field somehow, some way. So, but at least based on what you know, like what are fall instructs going to look like? Is it something that is totally new or is this kind of a regular thing where there's instructionals in the fall season? Right. Yeah. I know a whole bunch of minor league players out there didn't get to have a season. So instructs is prior next, next uh, big bet to be able to get some eyeballs on them in a more structured environment. 
And within Strux, you know, they happen every year. Every team kind of does their own little thing. Um, it's done pretty differently from organization to organization. Um, I don't know too much about how other teams across the league are doing it, but I know for us, we're going to have more of a smaller, more focused group. Uh, I think on the pitching side, we're going to have something like 16 or 17 guys, and then we'll have hitters there as well. Um, this is in contrast to maybe a few other teams. Like I know um, the Phillies have a spring training facility down the road from us. They might have a few dozen guys over there, in fact. Um, but one thing we also have to be cognizant of is that Arizona Fall League is canceled as well. And that's also another big opportunity for guys to get some game reps in. So uh, teams are kind of just trying to be creative and doing what they can to be able to get eyeballs on their guys, create structured environments, and and hopefully, like, replace some semblance of a lost minor league season for some of them. Yeah, because when you were telling us, you know, about your situation, like, you've mostly been working with minor league players, and we've had a number of Gaucho minor league players on, and sharing their stories, listening to their stories, and it's been very much the same sort of thing where it's like, I'm at home, or I'm in Santa Barbara, and we've got a small group, and we're just trying to do baseball things as much as we can and that's about all that we can do so the instructs will be like the first time in six months that you're actually going to have some coaching and like analytical instruction in a controlled environment which hopefully if every team can do that i mean that's going to be a big step towards getting guys ready for hopefully a 2021 season that's more normal than 2020 was yeah, exactly. And I know, like, the main concern throughout the season was, first and foremost, everybody's safety. I know when everybody kind of got sent home, we wanted to make sure everybody's families were safe, all the players were safe. I know some guys going to different countries were kind of in touch-and-go situations there. And uh, thankfully, like, from our end, like, everybody seemed to be able to get home okay. Um, but to your point, like, the next best thing is to, okay, now that we're in this situation, like, how can we be creative to – hopefully give you guys the resources to be able to still do baseball stuff, like you said, and still like not only retain your skills, but maybe even for certain guys, like be able to expand on their skill set and be able to make some strides. So hopefully fingers crossed, we have a spring training 2021. They're able to come back in a good situation where maybe they've made some strides in some certain areas and are ready for, uh, to compete for like a certain level or a certain job or something like that. So what was, uh, like, how were you able to be a resource for the minor league guys being remote, like working remotely? How were you able to be a resource? <laughs> um, well, similarly to what we're doing uh, for this podcast, I know listeners can't tell, but we're on a Zoom call. So definitely been on a lot of Zoom calls. Um, I joke with some coworkers of mine, like our eyeballs are ready to roll out of our head sometimes with all the Zooms we got coming up. Um, but Keeping, um, keeping in touch with all the players, making sure that they're they're following some of these plans that we give them. Um, and if not, like maybe the player has a different set of circumstances that um, allow for a different type of development or focus on a different area of their game. Um, so at least a lot of like the beginning stages when guys first got sent home was a little more collaborative to see, okay, here's what you have access to, here's what you don't. Uh, on a normal year, we were gonna focus on these things. Maybe you can or if you can't right now, what's the next best thing to focus on and sort of uh, building a plan to sort of um, make strides in that area with not only the player involved, but also the coach who's going to be the point person with them. 
And in a lot of cases, like guys need equipment sent to them in order to be able to um, practice in these areas as well. Um, so being able to just be as helpful as I can, wear as many different hats as I can, whatever the players need um, was sort of my role. Just, just obviously, you know, a lot of our hands are tied, but just doing anything that the player requires in order to maintain their skills or get better um, is what I hope to try to achieve this year. Well, let's jump over to Tony because you've been also working remotely. How have you been able to be a resource to the Yankees not being in Manhattan? Because you were anticipating being there and being at the stadium. And how have you been able to get things done during the regular season? It's been difficult, I'd say. Um, definitely the way that you envisioned the job that I took is like being at the stadium, being around other people who um, have the same focus as you similar mindset like you're there watching the games and at the same time working and all that um, so it's been difficult like not having that support system around um, of course we try to simulate it as well as we can with zoom calls and with group chats and things like that um, but it is tough as far as actual work luckily I've been able to do a lot of this stuff uh, from a distance and I think we've adapted well as like a baseball operation staff um, but there's definitely been some difficulties and some things that would just be so much easier. You, if you could just do it in the office, if someone could just come to my desk and look at what I have on my computer screen. Um, but trying to stay sane with that and, and stay focused and, and organized, it's been kind of a task of learning new ways to communicate and, and getting the help that I need um, on, for the projects that I'm working on. And then we really had some really big efforts by people who lead certain like certain projects and stuff so we have like playoff advanced scouting and we have uh, free or we have a sorry the the trade deadline like looking at other players and other teams and like certain people in our office have done a really good job of taking ownership of that and helping us all stay on board I've been one of the people who is just on board like helping out doing the research doing whatever is required and luckily I've had that leadership from others um, whereas I feel like if those people weren't as good at their job, I would be more confused. And like, I wouldn't feel like I knew exactly who I could reach out to for help. Uh, but having people who have been there, who have, have been part of the, the department for a while, have interacted with the higher ups and the coaches and things like that, it really helps them get an understanding that they can convey to me. And then I ask them for help and I just try to do what's asked of me. Um, and it's been fun. It's been more season related recently. Um, and it, it's nice to have a change where you're doing a lot more baseball stuff too, not just researching things and doing like nerdy data stuff. Um, I really got into it for the baseball. So it's been cool to get back to that stuff too. Well, yeah, on the first Go interview ahead. you said, cause we asked you like, what was the biggest thing that you're looking most looking forward to? And it was sitting at a game, yeah. watching the Yankees and then like are actively analyzing it. And yeah, me and David and Spencer, we've had fun watching Bieber and then we'll jump on right away and, and talk about it to, to present to the audience. And like we've had a lot of fun with that. So what's it been like for you to I'm assuming that you are watching the games on TV with a instead of an eye of a fan, you're you have an eye as a as an employee or as a as an analytical person. Yeah, that that's actually been one of the best parts, I would say. 
because you don't lose that much from watching on TV because when you're at the stadium, you can't get as much as you can from watching the center field video and the replays and all that. So that's been one of the better things. And I definitely look at different things now, even though I already thought that I like had an analytical eye when I would watch and I would think about pitch sequencing and things like that. There's some things that I think about now that maybe I hadn't before. Like, oh, why did like Gary's getting the low strike today versus another day he wasn't getting it. Um, or why did he get it on like those pitches were in the same location, but now I think about, Oh, well, one was a breaking ball. One was a fastball or one he set up there. And the other one, he didn't set up there. He had to move there and like the pitcher missed their spot. So it's kind of interesting because since we're doing all these like projects um, kind of in the back, like we're working behind the scenes you see a game and like you see these things that you might have not thought about that could add value or contribute or like we might be taking the wrong approach to doing something and you can write it down and like I can talk to my coworkers about it and they're like oh we already looked into that it doesn't matter or they're like oh we never looked into that like we should check out why uh, they aren't calling that pitch a strike or we should check out like when it's actually useful to throw down or useful to do this or if this guy's throwing too many fastballs in the first inning so um, it, it's been like, it's good for generating ideas, just watching. And it's also cool to see the stuff you actually talk about play out on TV. So now that we've almost completed the season, and this is a question for both of you, was there, when the season started over the first few weeks, like, were there trends that you saw that suggested like, oh, like these guys really haven't been playing for a while? versus now like at the end of the season like have things progressed like more towards like normal i don't i don't know how the data streams work and like i'm not looking at the numbers every day but i i feel like there would be some sort of signs like at the beginning of the season versus now at the end of the season where it was okay they were off to a slow start and now they they're back up to maybe how it would normally be yeah i think tony We'll probably have a better answer than me but i think the two main things that kind of stand out as far as like just general league-wide trends was you see a lot more injuries especially on the pitching side of things um and i think the general consensus is that uh with such a short on-ramp time with like summer camp or spring training 2.0 whatever you want to call it guys didn't really have as much of an opportunity to build up as they would in a normal spring training and not only that, but maybe this is related, but starters don't seem to be going quite as deep as they have before. And I know that's kind of a trend that's been happening for a while. Um, I know specifically with the Blue Jays, um, we really haven't had a whole lot of starters go deep. Um, and we've had more relievers take multi-inning type roles. Uh, but I think those are kind of the two biggest things that kind of struck me as I watched games. I would second that, especially the injury thing. There was like that huge wave of injuries at the beginning, especially with pitchers. Um, it's disappointing to see and like there's still injuries now but it definitely seemed like the quick buildup uh, had some casualties at the beginning of the year uh, there's also some things where guys maybe weren't as build up or ready to go like James Paxton for the Yankees was his velo was down at the beginning now he was coming back from an injury but um, but it did seem like that was kind of surprising on the other hand there's been some guys whose velo has been up so it makes you wonder like what training regimens they were going through since not everybody was in the same place following the same thing every time. Um, uh, another thing I would say is like on the topic of 
the starters not going as deep. There's definitely been an opportunity this year for like relievers that weren't really on the team's radar or might've been triple A guys or like double A guys in previous years. And they're getting the call now. So that's been cool. Um, I don't know if it's that much about switching from the beginning of the season to now, but I guess after the injuries happened is when you saw the guys come up. Um, but I, I've actually been a fan of that this year. Like, yeah, it leads to a bunch of runs being scored and like people giving up, but like you see a bunch of blowout games this year and stuff. Uh, but it's cool that these guys are getting an opportunity maybe faster than they would. Cause the minor league process is like, as you guys know, is really long and grueling and some guys never get a chance. So um, it's cool that they're kind of being thrown into the fire and some people are succeeding. There was that, like that one guy on the, the White Sox crochet is like, he was pitching in college a few months ago. Um, so it, it's exciting to see stuff like that. And I think there's been like some lessons from this year that maybe there's things we never had thought of that are going to be really cool and we can keep in the future. I have to say, even the like starting extra innings with a runner on second, it seems like a horrible idea, especially from like a baseball purist perspective, but it's actually been really fun. Like it's really fun that if you score a run in extra innings, like you have a chance to avenge it the next inning by already having a guy on. So I have to say it's been pretty exciting. Okay. You, you brought up a lot of things there because all a bunch of things that I want to touch on. So I'll start with this. Do you think that the 60 game season, do you guys think the 60 game season has affected the way managers treat their pitchers or is not having starters go as far into the game a testament to the long layoff? Or do you think it's like something that they're experimenting with? Or is it, does it have to do with the new reliever rule where they have to face three batters? Like there's kind of a lot that goes into it. And then of course we might've been trending in that direction already. Like, what do you guys see from your perspectives? Yeah, that's a really good question. Obviously there's a lot of moving parts. Like Tony said, a lot more call-ups, you know, guys weren't quite as on-ramped as much as they were before. And I think nowadays managers are just trying to be as creative as possible um, with how they want to soak up their innings. Uh, especially with the expanded rosters too, which is probably worth mentioning. You know, you can throw in a couple more guys in your bullpen. You also have the taxi squad if you want to call somebody up real quick to soak up innings if you get blown out the night before. Um, I mean, all these things give you a lot of balls in the air as a manager. I mean, I'm, I, it makes my head dizzy if I try to put myself in, in our manager's shoes sometimes. But uh, like Tony said, I think one of the repercussions of this is more guys getting to debut, which is, you know, Selfishly, really cool because I see a lot of our guys that I've worked with um, be able to throw some major league innings. But it's true across the board. And I know Kyle Nelson's probably benefited a little bit from that trend too. Um, but like the 60 game season is definitely unique. You know, you don't have to pace guys out so much. Um, I don't know if that has a huge bearing uh, on day to day strategy, but maybe more long term trends, it, it could sort of manifest itself a little bit more. Yeah, those are all good points. Also, I think operating with the extra roster space and taxi squads, as Evan mentioned, I think it does influence the, the manager's um, like decisions as far as how long to leave in the starters, because they know that they don't have to like gas out their entire bullpen. If they pull a starter in the third, like worst case scenario, give a guy a chance who maybe wouldn't be in the big leagues, but you need somebody to eat innings today. Um, and people have like kind of accepted that there's going to be certain games that you just lose and then it like you can't try to win every game. I think there used to be more of an attitude in the past that you never give up. And like it's true that mentality wise you shouldn't give up, but 
like purely based on your resources, you have to use them wisely. And there's some games where you might have to just use a guy who isn't as effective or isn't as reliable. Um, and I think managers are willing to do that to save their pitches in the long term. Um, you see guys getting pulled early sometimes and other guys eating innings just coming in and sometimes taking the brunt of like a really good offensive attack or like giving up eight runs or giving up 12 runs. It's like it's happened this year. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that definitely has an impact. Um, but as Evan said, it, it's cool because it gives players opportunities. And some of these guys deserve to be here and, and maybe they would have been blocked otherwise. And now they kind of have the chance. Um, so especially on the pitching side, it's, it's been pretty cool to watch. Yeah. And I'll, and I'll say this, I, like, cause it's 60 games. I mean, it's a, it's a sprint. It's a sprint. And if you're, if, if you feel a game is, is getting out, out of your reach, like you got to save something for the next day. And then considering that a lot of teams have had games postponed due to the virus and having to play double headers, like the A's went through a, a, a rigorous schedule. And so did the Cardinals, and and the Marlins just to get caught up with the rest of the league where they were playing, you know, 25 games in 21 days or something. I don't know what the exact number is, but, like, as far as the baseball standards go, like, that's ridiculous. And then, fortunately, they moved it to seven innings for the doubleheaders. Like, I thought that was a smart move. And then I'll say one more thing, and we could save it for a different podcast, but the extra innings rule with the runner on second, I love it. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand firm on that because – other leagues have gotten creative, and I, I point to the NHL specifically. Like they've gotten really creative with their their overtime. Like, hey, if we can't settle it in the allotted time for in you know a regular time, like let's throw a wrinkle in. Like, why not? So, NHL did four on four overtime. Then now they do three on three, and then they do a shootout. Like, it's great. It's great, <laughs> and it takes what fifteen extra minutes. Like, it's really it's just really fun. So I like the runner on second. The not pure baseball people, like, come on, grow up. Um, so I, I do want to move on and talk about your guys' individual teams because you're both in the AL East. Uh, and the Blue Jays are playing at Buffalo, and the Yankees have gone on this home run hitting tear. Like, it's been ridiculous. Luke Voigt, man, he's been cool. Uh, even as much as I, like, I'm a fan hater of the Yankees, like, I respect them. But uh, what have been the t- like? What have been the surprising things about your teams uh, that you've noticed this year? Yeah, the the games have definitely been exciting. I know Tony and I have been texting a little bit, especially when our two teams play. And I think at one point the Blue Jays were a little bit of ahead, a little bit ahead in the standings. But they uh, were, yeah, <laughs> um, pretty surprising. But uh, I think the Yankees are probably going to get that second place in the division wrapped up. Um, but yeah, I mean, I know with the Blue Jays, like, we've had so many, and this is true of a lot of teams, but we've had so many new guys come up. I know it's a point we brought up before, but, like, being around, you know, not only minor league players, but, like, a minor league staff on a day-to-day basis and see how everybody has an influence on all these guys' development. And then they go to the big leagues, and they're in a situation to be, like, in a position to succeed, not just necessarily thrown out there and just kind of left to drown on their own. But that's been awesome to see. and I know. Um, we've definitely tried to work diligently to like put guys in the best possible situations, especially with like all the kind of weirdness that's been unique with the Blue Jays. You know, they didn't, they were barely able to go to Toronto for summer camp. Then they figured out, oh, we can't really use Toronto as our home during the season. 
uh, had a little bit of a merry-go-round uh, with where to go next. All the major league stadiums eventually didn't really work out. We went to our AAA team in Buffalo, um, and you know we were going to have our alternate site for the high minor league players in Buffalo, so they got shifted to Rochester. Um, <laughs> so it's been a little bit of a logistical um, challenge, but I think it's been cool to see the players not only like adapt to that, but also thrive to that. Um, especially with how well our team seems to be playing in Buffalo, which honestly is a minor league stadium. And there are some uh, quirks and intricacies that don't uh, probably aren't present with a lot of major league stadiums. But to see guys take advantage of that and almost use it as a competitive advantage has been really neat. Um, and with the expanded playoffs, it looks like the Blue Jays are very likely to wrap things up and get a get a playoff spot, which is super exciting. Yeah, and it's it's a team that's young and talented enough where you could take that stuff in stride, but you're also going to get the the peaks and valleys. And I think they've definitely experienced that this year. But talk about an exciting team. You got Guerrero, you got Bo Bichette, you got Kevin Biggio. Like they've been super, super exciting, hitting a lot of home runs in that ballpark. And the Yankees have also been hitting a lot of home runs. And I thought the Yankees were down and out for – a couple weeks, but they've really bounced back. And like, what have you seen out of your Yanks? Yeah. Well, f- first I want to compliment Evans blue Jays. Cause they're really fun to watch. Like if I wasn't angry because they're getting hits and they're hitting home runs and like hitting the gaps, I would be enjoying watching them. The only thing that makes me not enjoy it is that they're crushing us when that happens. But that lineup is really fun to watch. They've got some pitchers that are exciting. Um, so yeah, like the Blue Jays, I want to learn more about the Blue Jays now. Like after watching those few games that I've seen, I I didn't realize what an exciting roster they had. But um, yeah, they're a fun team. As far as the Yankees, the home runs, like it's been kind of crazy, but I can't say that it's not expected because they do have mostly power hitters and I don't, the ball still flies. So and they're playing at Yankee Stadium, so all that stuff kind of makes sense, especially with a lot of minor league pitchers. But um, or pitchers that hadn't had experience in the big leagues. The one thing that struck me that I just don't understand, and I don't know if it's related to this season in particular or not, is like the home versus road splits. I, the Yankees are way worse on the road. I don't know if other teams are like that too. The Twins are also like ridiculously good at home and not good on the road. Wow, you're I right. wonder. I wonder if it's because the arrangement, like the travel arrangements are more difficult now. Um, and like they're limited in what they can do. And that I don't know if it's that or it's the arrangements at the stadium itself for if it just happens to be random chance that those teams are sucking on the road. But like watching the games, it's a, it's not like they're hitting fly balls that would be out at Yankee Stadium. It's just there. It seems like they play completely different. And that 10 game winning streak we had was like during a homestand. Um, so that part is it's frustrating and exciting at the same time. I, I wonder if there's something else causing it in the background. And, and that makes me more generally wonder what these players are going through. Like you hear stories and you're like, people say it's difficult and they haven't been able to see their family and this and that. But I feel like we can't fully understand. And there's a common like uh, visualization, like from fans that these players are just like high performance athletes and they're not real people. Like they just show up and play and, and that's it. But I started to understand, like, like you could see them at the grocery store. Like, you could see them walking outside. Like, these are regular people, and the, the rest of their life 
is just like anybody else's. So they have to deal with all this stuff. And if you had a job and had to just travel to all these random cities and not see anybody, that would make it really hard to perform your job. Now imagine being a professional baseball player trying to do that. I think some guys thrive, but other guys, it's like, it's a really, really difficult situation. Yeah. I think we've seen that with players who thrive on the crowd energy and having that pressure to perform in some in front of someone or have that exhilaration to perform in someone like we've seen some players who are superstars just do absolutely nothing. Uh, But to the, to the home versus away records, like obviously I think a good team is going to play better at home versus on the road. But I think that's, that's rare to see such a stark difference. So the Yankees are 21 and seven at home. This is uh, September 24th. We're recording this 21 and seven at home and they're 11 and 17 on the road. And the twins 23 and five at home. One of those losses uh, to Bieber, by the way, and then 12 and 17 on the road. And you bring up a good point about the athletes having to travel and perform whenever they're on television and the stuff that you take for granted as a fan that's been talked about a lot involving uh, basketball. So I've been watching the, the games in the bubble and listening to the rhetoric, and yeah. all of these basketball lifers have been very impressed with the, the quality of play in the bubble because these players are well-rested. They get a day off every day. They don't have to, or every other day, they don't have to get in a plane and travel cross-country and then play the next day. Like, during the playoffs or they don't have to do back to backs where you're traveling in between games. Like they just have to go to their hotel room and then go practice and then go to the field. Like it's all or the, the, the court. It's all there. I'm not saying that's how we should do everything in the future, but it's definitely noticeable that the quality of play where everyone's fresh and out there. And that's something to be said. And that's, that's something that is always brought up when a team does really well on the road because they face that adversity and there's something about it where they don't mind traveling and playing a different ballpark and, and being the visiting team. They, they thrive on that. Uh, the A's 28, eight at home, 14 and 13 on the road. And they are the AL West champions. I'm the only fan here that has their team with a division crown because the Rays won the AL East. They snuck in and won the AL East. How about that? I wouldn't say snuck in, though. They had a really good team from the <laughs> beginning of the year. But they did win the AL East. You can have that. You can you can taunt us with that. It's fine. They're, they're a worthy opponent. They definitely earned it. And it's crazy how good they've been with all the injuries. They've had so many injuries to their pitching staff. It, it's wild. So really bef- before we get to Bieber, I want to get to how you think the playoffs are going to round out because we're approaching the end of the 60-game season and these teams have only played within their division and then the and the National League edition of their division. So A's-Yankees hasn't happened. Blue Jays-Astros hasn't happened. Twins-Astros hasn't happened. A's-Rays hasn't happened. Like, these teams are going to not face you. It'll be like... What I'm envisioning is like a World Series in the division series where, you know, a National League team that did not play an American League team meet in the World Series. Like, they never saw each other the whole year. Whereas now we could get, like, A's-Yankees in the division series, and they haven't faced each other the entire year. So from a coaching and analytical standpoint, like, how does that affect these teams from your guys' perspectives? 
Yeah, the, the playoff schedule is a little reminiscent of college baseball a little bit, right? It's like the Gauchos going to Louisville and walking in their yard. They've never faced each other. You know, you got to figure out a way to win the game. And I think from a, a data perspective, like that perspective doesn't change. Like you still have to prepare for the opponent. You still have to find ways to match your guys up or use some sort of strategy that you can use to your competitive advantage. I think the the most interesting thing we'll see in the playoffs is, is I think we're going to see some weird stuff, man. Mm-hmm. Like that opening round is only three games. That's even if you have an eight seed versus a one seed, that's a lot closer to a coin flip for an outcome than I think fans of that number one team would be comfortable with. Agreed. It's it could potentially be really weird. Yeah. Yeah. Especially I'm with thinking, the players. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, Tony. Like I'm I'm thinking a Gauchos Louisville type scenario where you know the Rays have the best record in the American League, but, I mean, the, the Astros could certainly beat them, if, or the Blue Jays. Like, there's no telling that the dominant seed's going to win each and every series. Yeah. Also, one more thing is that there's going to be no days off in, in the middle of these series, too. So you're not going to be able to run your number one starter out there for three games in a seven-game series. You're going to have to rely a little bit more on depth. And I think one thing that, wasn't really talked about a lot was this memo came out, I don't know, just a few weeks ago. So it's not like managers, this came after the trade trade deadline too. So if you're a general manager and you're going to the postseason and you're expecting off days and you have maybe not a super depthy rotation, you didn't have a lot of urgency to necessarily upgrade if you had a playoff spot secured, I wouldn't think. But all of a sudden <laughs> that sort of changed and you're going to have to rely on your number four starter a little bit more than maybe guys would be comfortable with. And Again, like this might yield some really weird games where we see, again, starters being bounced early and some really interesting strategy, creative bullpen usage. And this could all manifest into some really weird, and by weird, I mean fun baseball uh, this coming postseason, perhaps. Yeah, those are some really good points. I think it's interesting because I don't know if it's always been like this, but it seems like rotations are really top heavy these days. Uh, there's a lot of teams with like an ace or like a two pitcher that's almost an ace or it could be an ace on another team um but lots of times the end of the rotation they either don't even have a starter they've just been like opening the last game or they have somebody who's kind of just filled in so evan brings up a really good point it's like it, it's really really difficult to win a playoff series especially like one of the longer ones if you have to pencil a guy in who has no experience and like doesn't even start that often. Maybe it was like a long relief guy before or something like that. Um, it, it's really hard to win the series if you have to like kind of forfeit games. And it's not necessarily forfeiting it, but there could be some really lopsided uh, matchups based on that. The other thing that I actually say have to say I'm excited about is the bullpen depth piece because it really bothers me that teams that have aces in the playoffs can just have them pitch the end of the game like a billion times. I think it's, I mean, it's totally fair because it's within the rules, but it bothers me. Maybe because the Yankees always focus on having a good bullpen, but um, it bothers me that you can just throw like Chris Sale or Verlander at the end of the game because you don't really have to build a foolproof team. Like you can leave a hole in the bullpen because you know in the most important games you can just bring in your best guy. Um, So I'm kind of excited about the depth actually mattering and I think it's cool for those guys because, like, there's nothing worse. I remember this from when I played sports in high school. Like, 
if you're kind of in between being a bench guy and playing, you get to play in some important times, like in the regular season. But then when the playoffs get there, you're just cut off. And it's like any important game, you're now not going to be in it. We're just going to run with our starters the whole time. And it's the same thing in the big leagues, but now it can't be like that anymore. So some of these like middling guys that might not have had the opportunity are going to have a chance to step up and be heroes. And like, that's pretty exciting um, that they're going to have to be used in, in those situations. So I'm excited to watch that. I want to see how those guys react. I want to see who, who steps up and becomes an unlikely postseason hero and having that extra long first round and then three more rounds after that, there's just going to be so much good baseball to watch. And it's all going to be in a bubble. Well, a few different bubbles. Yeah. So the other thing to keep in mind is these home teams are going to be playing on, on different fields. I'm not saying that their away performance is going to have to be considered here. Like, you know, if, if the Yankees are playing a home game in the division series against the A's in Arlington, Texas, like who's going to have the advantage Who's going to have the advantage at those points? Is it going to be the A's because they play the Rangers in their division and they know that ballpark? Like, no one's played in that ballpark. Only the AL West and NL West teams have played in Arlington. So, like, is there going to be home field advantage even though there, that there's no crowd? So there, there's those things to consider. Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't even thought of that. And I wanted to mention something else that you brought up before but I didn't touch on, which was facing guys you haven't seen at all. It's interesting because, like, there's some, like, contrasting factors here because I feel like that would help the pitchers um, because it's really hard to hit off a guy that you've never seen before. But then you have the fact that, like, there's no off base. So that helps the hitters. So we have no idea which one of these factors is more important, you know? Like, we don't know what's going to win. So we could have a bunch of really high-scoring games or we could have, like, no runs being scored. Maybe that playing on the road or playing in a bubble affects a hitter more than a pitcher because throwing schedules versus just hitting in a cage is different, you know? So I, I feel like there's just a really wide range of possibilities of outcomes. And as I've been said, it's going to be really fun to watch. Okay. So Bieber and Tony brings up the pitchers having the advantage and you guys, I mean, most of the stuff that you guys do is with pitchers. And we've documented a lot of Bieber on this podcast, and rightly so, because he's probably going to win the Cy Young. He's probably going to win the Cy Young. He's leading the American League in wins, strikeouts, and ERA. And on top of that, he's leading the majors in wins, strikeouts, and ERA. So he's probably going to win the Cy Young. But when we go back to July and we talk about his first two starts of the season, harping on the theme of, what's going to be different about the start of the season when no one has been playing and Bieber goes 14 innings and he strikes out 27 batters, gives up seven hits and walks one and doesn't allow a run. Do you think that we'll see something like that from our guy at the start of the playoffs? Yeah. I mean, obviously Shane's (laughs) been unbelievable. It's, it's, hard to find evidence to think that he won't be anything but extraordinary even if it's a playoff game it's a regular season game he's playing on the moon (laughs) i don't think it totally matters that guy's been dominant uh i don't have any compelling evidence to think otherwise uh it's it's gonna be fun man yeah i'm with evan on that it's just 
there's no evidence that he's going to struggle. And on top of that, he's added stuff to his repertoire and he like constantly refines his pitches. Like he was a really good pitcher last year, but everything is just a little bit sharper. So if you haven't faced him before, I don't know how you're going to like, how you're going to be ready to with the stuff that he has after only one or two at bats. So I think there's like the setup is, is nice for him. He definitely has an opportunity to really go out and dominate, but then again, it's a playoff. So you never know what's going to happen. There could be a team that comes ready to go that day. Um, it can come down to one or two pitches. Like every time I watch the summaries of his outings, it seems like even when he gives up hits, he hit a spot and it like, it just didn't work that time. Um, but there, there's a lot that could happen there. It's like, if you miss your spot by two inches, it could be a two run home run or it could be a strikeout. So you never really know, but granted the consistency of the last year and this year and the fact that all of his stuff backs it up too. It, I mean, there's just no question. There, there's no reason that to question that he would be successful in the playoffs. Hopefully he gets an opportunity to pitch more than once. Have either of you watched a, a start of his been able to? Definitely. Yeah. I, I checked out, uh, I've been watching the highlights and I saw the one versus the twins it was like towards the beginning. He had a ton of strikeouts that day. It's just so fun to watch. I can't imagine how fun it is to catch him. Imagine being able to choose between <laughs> five different like plus pitches and knowing that it's going to hit the glove. Like that'd be so fun. I can't even imagine. It's like playing a video game, I would think. <laughs> yeah. It's right. just wild because we've seen him like I've seen him throw pens and things like that. And like his stuff looks good and like his accuracy is good, but it's just really cool to see him refine the things that he was working on before. Like maybe he was working on his changeup and he wasn't, he didn't like it because of something. And now he's just out there doing it perfectly. It, it's really impressive how he can take these concepts and, um, and really just learn it. And it really, I, re, I think it really, um, it really makes you think about guys who have like command naturally like a guy like him who maybe came out of college, not throwing that hard, but he had command and is like, as teachable because he's just grown year by year and gotten better every single year. Um, and he always kind of had that command piece. So maybe that's something that's not being valued enough. Maybe having a teachable guy who has this natural ability to learn is exactly what you need. You just have to give him a little more time. Well, Evan, we were joking earlier about your dream Christmas. It was just like bullpens all day long. If they were all Bieber's, like, I don't know what you would do with yourself, but like, you you probably want to sit in on a bullpen session with Shane, wouldn't you? Yeah, I mean, that'd be awesome. I feel like I wouldn't want to do that all day long. It'd get kind of boring because at a certain point, like, I'm just ornamentation in the background for somebody like that. Like, I serve no purpose on being there other than to observe. That's well said. I like that, ornamentation. That's good. <laughs> I can't – I'd love to be able to watch one of his bullpens up close again because – it's just like every pitch that he has is nasty now. It, every pitch. It's well, crazy. the knuckle curve, the knuckle curve he got yeah. from Trevor Betancourt, who uh, struck out a lot of Arizona Wildcats in that World Series with that <laughs> pitch, and and now Bieber is using that in the big leagues. I can't so, believe how many swings he gets at it when he bounces it. It's, it's like he purposely tries to, and he just keeps getting the swings. And then what if he just? 
what if he just throws a fastball and you're frozen? Like, what is more embarrassing as a hitter, swinging at the one in the dirt or being frozen by a fastball right down the middle? Like, pick your poison. <laughs> I don't know. Which one would you guys choose? I I would rather swing and miss at the curveball because then I can say, too. oh, I was fooled. I, I hate the feeling of being frozen. I just despise that feeling, like, for yep. a strikeout. I hate it so much. So I definitely go with the swing. I'll go with taking fastball. I feel like hitters are too aggressive with two strikes. They're too desperate. Hey, if you're, you're guessing wrong and you're watching 95 right down the middle because you think it's going to be a curveball or a slider or a changeup, but oop, oop, there it goes, and it's a hittable pitch as it is. Like, it's a fastball down the middle, but it's almost unhittable because of the mind games that he plays with you because of his repertoire. So that was that was good. I wanted to get your guys – input on on Bieber because it's been great tallying his and recording and talking about his starts with David and Spencer and he's we believe he's slated to go the first game of the opening round for Cleveland because he got bumped back a day and he was not going to pitch on the last day of the season because the Indians clinched the playoff spot so that was good from you guys um that's pretty much all I have for you um Anything else you guys want to add or any topics that you think we should cover? <laughs> tough, tough question. I know. I don't have much more, but I would, I just wanted to second uh, what you said before, Kevin, that I really like the seven inning double headers. And I think it's possible. I don't have any Intel or anything, but I think it's possible we see them in the future just because it seems to be like a resounding yes from everybody that they really think it's, useful um, so it'll be cool to see what sticks from the season it's been really interesting there was a long period of time where everyone was kind of like oh are we gonna have it or are we not gonna have it and from somebody in my perspective it was really frustrating but it's pretty much delivered as much as you could ask for and the playoffs haven't even started yet so excited okay evan and tony this was great uh it's great to see your faces and if we, if you guys can make it out to California, we'd love to have you and see you. Uh, but otherwise, I mean, good luck in the playoffs and good luck in fall instructs. And uh, we'll talk soon. Awesome. Thanks for having us on again, Kev. It's uh, it's quite an honor to be uh, part of the setup that you got going on here. You've developed quite a tradition here. It's it's, it's pretty darn cool. Thanks, Kevin. I have to second what what Evan said. It's really cool how this has taken off and how consistent it's been with the releases and just hearing everyone talk. So thank you. I appreciate the praise. All right, Evan and Tony, thank you. All right. Thank you to our sponsor, Kyle's kitchen. And thank you to the UCSB baseball analytics team. Check them out on Twitter. SB baseball data, David and Spencer, the current guys doing great things, especially now when we are at limited capacity and then Evan and Tony, thank you so much for taking time out of their days to talk baseball. Of course, they always like to talk baseball, so uh, it's fairly easy for them. Well, uh, once again, check out Bieber tonight against the Yankees. That's a four o'clock start on ESPN and uh, just enjoy the playoffs because this is going to be fun. We got the NBA finals, we got NFL going on and we got the baseball postseason. And we've got some golf, too, so with the Masters coming up in November. That's a little ways down the road, but gets me excited thinking about it. So uh, that'll do it for this week. 
And uh, we'll talk to you in uh, seven days here on the Gosh Nine Podcast. <laughs>